Hey friends, welcome to Conversations with Kenzie, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Kenzie Brenna. No topic goes unturned here. We talk about everything with everyone. We like to get raw and sometimes we get heavy and sometimes we swear. So I'm warning you now. Also, we are working remotely. So audio quality between host and guest may differ. Lastly, check out our show notes for giveaways, fun promotions, or discounts to our favorite stuff. Enjoy the show. All right. Hello, Kylie. Hello, Kenzie. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on here today. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. I'm I'm a lot of things. <laughs> to be honest with you. It's like overall I'm good. I feel like I'm in an energetically neutral space. Um which means that I'm just in the isness of what is the day, what is the moment without getting to, I won't say attached to outcome, but just like, just allowing myself to be with the unknown that is these current times. So we're riding the wave. Yeah, I was going to say, wow, our favorite being in the unknown. <laughs> right. I know. We just love it. If anything, if anything, reality in the last two years have taught me is to get really comfortable with the unknown and this space of in between of not knowing as somebody who's a professional grasper onto anything that provides me with some stability or security um, or identity. Uh, I've had to lose a lot in order to get comfortable or release a lot. I should say I've had to release, or I've been invited to release a lot in order to get comfortable with these times of unknown. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, leading into that, I want to hear a little bit about your background story and to just touch on how I found you. I went through a breakup back in September and I had, I'd followed Mark's page for a while, n literally not knowing anything about Mark, but like following it for a quote page. Yeah. And then, um, you know, when you're like following something, but you're not really ready for the message yet. And then as I went through, um, as I became open about going through this breakup online, people were sending me uh, Mark's Create the Love page. And I was like, quotifying my life for a second. I was like, yes to this quote, yes to that. Um, and then I scrolled back far enough that there was a tag picture of you. And so I went and I looked at your account. And sometimes I get really... Um, cautious about particularly about white women in wellness spaces because I have come from the being a white woman in wellness spaces and sometimes messages can be very abstract and fluffy and not tangible and so as I was scrolling through your page it was interesting because your captions were the complete opposite of that they were real and honest and raw and truth-seeking and I was like okay holy shit. And then I basically like was consuming so much of your content and I just felt like s the things that you were saying were really resonating. Um, and then I started following you on mind and, uh, just been learning from you distant in a distant way since then. And, and that's how I found you, but I'd love to like hear a little bit more about your background being, um, 
a sacred activist and getting into this space. Mm-hmm. Mm, thank you for sharing how you found me. I, I'm always so curious to hear about people's experiences with my work, but even just the the mystery of how it all comes into beingness, if you will. So there's so many places I can start in my origin story. Um, so I'll try to keep this short-ish <laughs> for the sake of it not being a whole book. Um, I'm the first of four children. I, growing up, was a perfectionist, straight-A student, emotional caretaker, um, someone that was a highly sensitive being who always wanted to manage the emotional environment in order to create safety and security, but also to just make other people okay. Because I could feel the pain of other people without even realizing that that was not maybe a normal experience. So with all of that being said, I was kind of your father's daughter. Always looked up to my dad and thought my dad knew my path better than I knew my own path. So my father's a surgeon. I graduated from high school, went to university, was pre-med, and was always drawn into healthcare or helping people. Um, But after shadowing some surgeons in the field, quickly realized that that was not my path because, again, I could feel the pain of the people and it was just like way too overwhelming for my system. So I went back to the drawing board and because I didn't have clarity, Kenzie, and because I actually didn't believe in my capacity to step forward onto the path that I knew I was destined to take, which is more of the psychotherapeutic path of like psychology and coaching and mentorship, stuff like that. I took a detour and followed the other yellow brick road and got married. Because <laughs> that's what you do when you don't have it figured out. You kind of just follow the script, right? So I graduated from high or from college. Um, and about six months before I graduated, got into a really serious relationship. Um, and shortly after that, um, I got engaged and got married at 22. So I was a young chicken, but at that time I thought it was, I thought I had it all figured out truly. Like looking back on it now, if I tune into who I was at 22, I was like, she had all the answers. (laughs) She thought she did. So long story short, I woke up in my marriage probably about six months in and was like, Ooh, I am not in the right place and on the right path. And that terrified me because if this isn't the right path, then one, what is? And two, I can't get out of this because divorce equals death. Like to me and my identity of being the perfect daughter, the perfect wife, the perfect woman, the perfect everything, the idea of of getting a divorce was just a complete annihilation of my identity. And so I denied that call for about 18 more months and until it got to a point where I actually couldn't deny it anymore. And I blew up my marriage. Um, yeah, at 24 and my divorce was the catalyst into, into this journey that I'm on and still am on today of coming back home to self, to soul, to, um, remembering what is actually important. And 
that journey, which is now seven years ago, has been one filled with every flavor of life, a lot of grief, a lot of rage, a lot of pain, a lot of disillusion, a lot of lack of clarity, a lot of WTF. Um, and for me, I think I could, most of my life is seen through the context of relationships. As somebody who's been a serial dater since I was 16, I really wasn't single until for the first time after my divorce, but I still had male influences or friends who didn't share that they wanted to be in partnership with me, but I knew underneath they did and I, and they also did. So it was kind of like, I always had men in my life. And last year after my rupture with Mark, it was very clear to me that I needed to take some time and go on what I call a man talks and remove the masculine from my world, men specifically from my world, because I had been sourcing so much safety, security, validation, and worth and identity through my partnership instead of actually being able to stand truly in my center. So long story short, um, all of these relational ruptures, both most recent and the past, have been major catalysts and wake-up calls for me to recommit and devote myself to my path and my work in this world, which is all about reclaiming the soul and the sacred and reminding people that, that everything is sacred. And that's not to say that there isn't a lot of darkness on this planet, because there is a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, but really giving people permission to invite all the parts of themselves that have been exiled, that have been violated, mm -hmm denigrated that have been shamed that have been repressed and oppressed to come back home into themselves but also into community love that long story short <laughs> there's so there's so much in there that i want to untangle and discuss i want to talk about the managing safety and security you know being a classic uh, eldest and father's daughter um that call into healthcare which is just you know caring for community really on physical levels mostly um that, that's the way that i think a lot of people envision it feeling like you know looking back at our younger selves and giving them recognition that they really thought that they had it all figured out. Like they really, truly to their bones thought that, oh, this is the right way. Like I know myself and I know how the world works. Um, I want to like untangle all of that, but I also want to untangle, you know, waking up six months into a marriage and knowing it's not the right path. And like, what do you do when you have that small voice inside of you and you start having a small, those small epiphanies of, and okay, I know this is not right, but like, like you said, if this isn't the right path, what is? Um, so we're going to get to all of that. But I want to start off with a definition. We love definitions here on Conversations with Kenzie. We love like coming back to basics. And I know that the okay. word codependence is being used more often. And so could you define it at least the way that um, you use it in your spaces? So then that way um, we can start there and then start touching on to other topics. Yeah. Thank you. I always love starting with the foundation so that we all are clear on what we're, we're actually saying, because words have so many attached meanings to them in general. 
Um, so the way I use codependency or codependent patterns in my spaces is when we are utilizing someone or, and I'll just speak from a relational dynamic because that's that's the, the world I live in, is when we are sourcing uh, regulation through partnership, sourcing safety, security, validation, worth through partnership, through another person. So we are dependent on that person for safety, security, validation, worth, identity, but also the regulation of our nervous system. So it's since we don't have a secure attachment system or base, and we haven't necessarily increased our emotional capacity to be with the parts of ourselves that are dysregulated, that we find ourselves in relational dynamics that mirror an earlier dynamic, likely with mother or with primary caregiver, that equate to familiar, equate to safety, equate to security. Because the paradigm of relating that currently exists is is we haven't really seen anything modeled outside of codependency. You know, so the fact that I just don't want to create more shame around this conversation already in general, because there's so many conversations that are had on social media and everywhere that I think people utilize that information to beat themselves up or to blame themselves or to make it mean that there's something wrong with them. When in truth, it's, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. Like this is what has been modeled to us and what has been possible for us in relationship. And I think now that we're reaching this point beautifully enough is as we increase our own capacity for self-regulating and regulating in sisterhood and, and community in other ways that we're now being invited into what I call liberated love. Whereas it's clean, it's clear, and it's anchored. It's not, I'm seeking something outside of myself through you because I can't give it to myself or I don't know how to regulate mm. my own nervous system. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Like being really, really dependent on other people's nervous systems to regulate your own. Right. Um, it's like the caretaker, right? Well, if you need me, then I feel really safe here because you need me. And that identity is what's helping me source safety and security. So what happens when people don't need us? <laughs> <laughs> You can't, don't say that out loud. <laughs> In that way. Mm -hmm. yeah. not, not at the expense of self, right? Mm -hmm. So codependency is sourcing safety, security, validation, worth, identity, and regulation of the nervous system at the expense of self. That's a very key component here. Yes, absolutely. I. It, it's interesting because I would have never in my life ever considered myself codependent until I um, took your, until I, I watched some of your series on mind about people pleasing. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not a people pleaser, but I'm going to watch Kylie because I want to support her. And um, like, I really vibe with what you talk about. And so I start watching it and like, Kylie, what did you do to me? <laughs> I, <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't know that. I was doing everything and that I was a complete people pleaser. And then I confided in my friend about like, 
this like insight that I had of, oh my God, I'm a people pleaser. And she was like, yep, I was just waiting for you to figure it out on your own. Like mm-hmm. you've been doing this for quite a while. And I almost like I couldn't believe it because I've been so um, like I can have very disorganized attachment. And I thought because I can be quite avoidant that that meant that I wasn't codependent. Yeah. And um, I just, I didn't ever hear about codependency in, in that way. Like I had only heard about codependency in a way of like where someone is, you know, giving someone else money to stay afloat and someone is housing someone like, like these like very physical um, components of codependency, which definitely do of course exist, but I wasn't understanding it in a way of like lack of boundaries, really leaning on someone else's happiness for your own, leaning on someone else's regulation for your own. I had never heard of it that way. And then as soon as I did, it's like, oh my goodness, like a light bulb went off and things really started to click. Um, But yeah. And then with some of the examples that I was saying, I was going to ask, could you give us some some examples of codependency in in this way um, in your definition that some of the listeners can maybe have their own light bulb moments when <laughs> listening to this. Yeah, yeah, I love I love examples, and I always kind of cherry pick my own here um, for my own story. Uh, when you are so, like from an emotional perspective. And from a nervous system perspective, it's when you don't speak your truth or you limit your expression or when you don't say what it is you truly mean because you don't want to rock the boat or you don't actually stand clearly in your no or stand up for what it is you truly desire because you're afraid of what that might elicit in somebody else. So you're constantly managing the emotional the, the emotional environment as well as the capacity of the nervous systems around you and yourself to source that safety and security. So it's much more subtle in that it's like a self-editing and it's constantly walking on eggshells and utilizing your gifts of psychic attunement, really, it's a gift. But when it's a survival strategy, then it becomes something that can get really annoying in that you're actually utilizing your gift to tune in and jump into other people's realities, intuit their needs, intuit what they want, intuit their next move as a way to manage the environment. So it's like, I might be sitting at dinner and in conversation and notice a shift in my partner's energy. And immediately my internal alarm system's going off. What did I do? How do I find clarity? How do I figure out what's wrong? Like, so I automatically go into like problem solving mode or how do I create um, a emotional shift in this relational dynamic so that I feel safe again? So I'd say that for the listeners, it, noticing when your nervous system becomes activated and noticing when you begin to jump out of your own internal experience and try to figure out, manage, or intuit the next steps of somebody else outside of you as a way to figure out what you're going to do next. 
That's such a good example um, because that's such a, it's exactly like you said, it's like the clear, subtle example of like sitting at dinner with a partner, uh, a parent, a friend, and noticing a change in energy or noticing that maybe they showed up and they're a little bit quieter today or they haven't asked you about your day or whatever it is. And as very sensitive creatures, we internalize that with, okay, something must be wrong. It might be me. So instead of maybe offering some type of like honest communication about it, we, like you said, we become problem solvers and we try to, well, what would make this person back to being happy and back to being connected to me? And so I'm going to try to do what I can to make them okay. Maybe I'll like make them dinner or I'll ask them so much about their day or I will, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And then um, we dismiss those internal cues, those like, I don't even want to call those like red flags, but just that, that little voice that's like, oh, this, there's something going on here. Like we kind of dismiss that and like we just end up like wanting to regulate the other person. Right. Cause we're also trying to, through their, through regulating them, we're regulating ourselves. And so I think that's a key component here is so much of climbing out of codependent patterns is increasing the capacity of your own nervous system to be with the full range of emotional experience. And so this is a both end of like navigating your dance with other, but also through working with practitioner, somatic experiencing practitioner, a mentor, a, a therapist, et cetera, is, is you're actually creating a secure attachment with somebody else to support you and in increasing the capacity of your own nervous system so that you can sit with the discomfort that arises when something in your external environment shifts. Mm. Instead of internalizing that and making it mean something about you or making it mean something about the relationship, you can kind of have enough differentiation from it that you're like, okay, I'm going to sit with, <laughs> stay in my own lane here. I'm going to sit with this activation and I'm just going to breathe and be with this part until I can move from a regulated space and have that conversation that I need to have of what's coming up. Like, hey, in my experience, when you said this, it brought up this. So what's going on? You know, it's like much more proactive instead of on the defense. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And can you tell us um, a little bit about your journey separating from Mark and not to you know ruin the ending, but you two did get back together. Um, but that 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 time when you both decided to um, close the relationship for a little bit and how that actually pushed you to confront this part of yourself and um, to get to know yourself and um, leave you know who you were in that relationship as well. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's so much to this story. Like truly, it's even when I shared it recently on Mark's podcast, I'm like, oh my gosh, there was so much that wasn't said. And you know, you just trust that whatever is meant to say, be said is said. So um the relationship ending with Mark last year, I call it her relationship 1.0, um actually was catalyzed by a dream I had. Uh, so for all of you who are active dreamers, there's something to that world um, that definitely calls to me specifically. So I had a dream of a burning house. And in the dream, the message was, it's time to go. And I woke up in a complete frenzy, Kenzie. I was like, what? 
time to go. Like, can't be time to go. Like, I finally found an emotionally conscious man um, who's done the work, who is doing the work, who is kind, who talks about emotions, who can speak to me about mine, is such a teacher. Like, all of, you know, just listed it all out. I was like, no, absolutely not. And underneath that resistance was also a deep fear. And the fear was, I'm not capable of standing on my own two feet. I'm not capable of being on my own or of being financially stable. Like it had never been modeled in my family system throughout my matrilineal line. Like the women in my family system, although they've been breaking out of these patterns, they have been um, financially dependent on their partners and husbands for safety and security. So there was a part of me that was running up against a pattern a family pattern that I couldn't see beyond. Now, of course, I could see it in other women around me, but for me internally, this little part of myself was like, it's not capable. Like, you source your safety, security, and identity through a man. So with all of that being said, after losing myself and my identity and my marriage, I made a commitment to myself. Never lose yourself again. Make sure you have a foundation in place so that you don't have to lose yourself in the next relationship. Well, I had done some work on that, but if I'm being fully transparent with you all, is my foundation was not in place when I entered into that relationship with Mark. Now, I can create a lot of stories around that and say like I should have waited, but it was like, no, this is exactly the divine timing. That's just how it had to happen. So anyways, after the dream, I didn't make it mean that it was intuition. I actually made it mean that it was my fear. I made it mean um, that my trauma of getting hurt again in relationship was showing up in the dream space. So I tuck that away <laughs> into my unconscious because that happened within the first seven months of our relationship. And I tucked it away into my unconscious for the next two and a half years. And I brought it forward in relationship with Mark. We both had talked about the dream and what it brought up for me and et cetera, et cetera. And because I made it mean that there was something wrong with me, that I had trauma, undigested, trauma from my divorce, trauma from childhood that I that I needed to look at. And so really what it did is it catalyzed such a deep descent into all of my stuff. And that led me down the path of looking at the patriarchy wound, looking at um, the mother wound and the roles I played in my family system and so forth. And throughout our the next two and a half years, I started to build that foundation where I was like, I'm going to be financially independent and I'm no longer going to get money from my family system, my twin sister, my partner. Like I'm ready to show all, to go all in on this. And breaking that pattern actually, I know that's a privilege, an extreme privilege, but breaking that pattern was quite terrifying for me in that I didn't realize how much hold it had over me. One, because not only was I breaking out of, I was breaking beyond the individuation and the liberation that was available to any woman in my family system and my lineage. So I was saying like, it's time for more. It's time for more choice. It's time for more freedom. It's time for more expression. And I felt a lot of resistance um, coming at me for wanting to break through those edges. So with all of that being said, a lot of work was had in those two and a half years, except towards the end of 
the relational container 1.0, the dream started to come back. I started to get really sick and I knew it was time to go. Like I had to, I had to listen because if the, the more I pushed that dream down, the further I got from my soul, from my essence, from my vitality, from my truth. And I was internally split. And that ambivalence causes not only a lot of pain for self, but also for your partner. Because it's like, are you in? Or are you out? And it's like, well, I want to be in, but I have this huge part of myself that's like, well, you can't because you're not listening to this. So I really got to a place, Kenzie, where it was like, you either choose to die in relationship or you break up. Like, that's how sick I was. I mean, I couldn't get out of bed. I was sleeping like 18 hours a day. I was throwing up every day. It was like, I was like emotionally, spiritually, energetically sick. And so finally, Mark looked at me and was like, if you have to stay broken in order to stay here, you got to go. And it like immediately, like something just like cracked open where I was like, oh, I'm not broken. Like, because I thought I was so broken and so traumatized. And that was the reason why I couldn't be in partnership. So I just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper into all my stuff without realizing that the very thing that I was repressing and pushing away was the key to my liberation from all of these patterns of self-abandonment. So we decided to close that relationship and, and honor my dream and honor my truth and honor the unknown, which was for some reason I have to go. And so I went and it broke us both into a bajillion pieces and it was painful and it was exactly what was necessary in order for me to step into deeper sovereignty with self, with soul, with all sentient beings in the circle of life. Truly, like it, talk about disillusionment. I mean, I felt like the rupture of that relationship was such a descent into the truth of what this world really was. And I thought mm -hmm. I could see it clearly, but that really woke me up to how all of these systems, colonial capitalist, racial patriarchy has completely interfered with our capacity to be in our bodies and to be in intimate relationship. There is so much wounding between each gender, between all gen, between no matter how you identify on that spectrum, like there's just so much wounding in the way and all of it has been internalized and we make it mean that there's something wrong with us. When we've been swimming in poisonous waters and it's time to start externalizing and naming all of these systems and all the ways we've been traumatized so that we can actually build more meaningful and intimate relationships. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot to go on in that lane, but for me, I wanna answer your question. I was on a call with Mark Wolin, who's the author of It's Not Always About You. And he does family constellation work and looks at lineage work, like patterns that carry through your lineage. And I got on the call with him and I was like, I don't really, I like I've done a lot of work on this. There's no way, like I'm not gonna find anything new. You know, you think you gotta figure it out again. Like there's my 22 year old self, I gotta figure it out. Um, and basically like he had me nailed within the first 10 minutes. Like he was like, so you have a core organizing pattern where you orient around your man, just like you did your mother. And man will be mother until you look at all of the wounding that has occurred from your core attachment with mother. 
Wow. Basically, he was saying is you jump into their reality, you intuit their needs, you make them feel good, you pull them close so that you don't have to be alone, so that you don't have to be in your discomfort. So that, and I was like, (laughs) I'm sorry. What? Like it, it shook me. And he was like, if you don't go on a man talks, and he didn't call it that, but that's what I called it. And, and actually remove the masculine influence or the male influence from your environment, I will be on the same call with you in two years. And that I was like, I will not, absolutely will not be on this call with you in two years. Like that scared the shit out of me because I hate being Mm -hmm. stuck in the same place. After having felt like I was stuck for seven years in the same dang place, I was like, no, we're doing whatever we need to do in order to break free. Mm. I don't think that, um, like, I'm, as I'm listening to you, I just, I I feel so, um, like, so much of that resonated with me. And I don't think that people really understand, like, how much you had to let go and how much you had to change and grieve and mourn and end in order to step into new patterns and in order to, at the same time, come home to yourself and start listening to yourself and change what needed to be changed in order to get to a different and better place. Um, there's so much grief in that. And that's heavy. It comes, it's like very, very heavy. And w- it's interesting how we have chapters of waking up because with something that hit me so hard as you're saying all of that is, you know, I'm 31 and I have been buying self-help books since I was truly 19 years old. And at, you know, at 19, I thought it high, I had it figured out. And then at 22, I went through an awakening. And then at 26, I went through an awakening. And at 30, I went through an awakening. And every time I woke up, I woke up like truly as if I had been, I'd woken up for the first time, like where I was like, how did I live my life in this cloud? Like, how did I live my life? Like, unconscious. And then I was like, what was I doing for the last few years? Even though that I had, I'm trying to figure out what I want to like, what I can say and what I can't. But um, in, in previous relationships, I have felt like I've had so many good tools. You know, I've been like an excellent communicator. I have been with partners who've been really kind. I have mm-hmm. been, I've had wonderful um, uh, shared values and shared senses of humor and um, tenderness and love and curiosity. And I've had these like really wonderful qualities. And yet I still have not lived in my body enough. And I still have not been able to be myself enough to feel a sense of safety and security in them. And in the chapter that I'm in now, I'm like in almost like I'm in an area of like disbelief where I'm like, how did you have all, how did you, how were you doing all of that? And you still weren't fully being yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you have so many good things with someone and it still couldn't fully click. Like the, the puzzle wasn't fully put together. Um, and how you have to acknowledge that and not force those pieces and not, and, and not force those pieces or not accept an unfinished puzzle, so to speak, you Mm -hmm. know? And, and I think that you just, you leaving and you changing and you going through that rupture was like, yeah, we're starting over. We're doing, we're, doing this new thing because I'm not going to have that call in two years. No, we're not. We're not going <laughs> to. We're not going to. I love what you just said, though. 
is there so much grief? Like, I know that's not, but grief is, is, is truly, um, is such deep medicine for our times. It's so necessary that we find safe places and community to grieve and collectively grieve as well, because at least in my experience, and I'd be curious about your own embodiment experience here is for a majority of my life, I've been living from the neck up. And kind of in my head, hypervigilant, always managing the external environment as a way to um, be okay and be in reality. And over the last five years, the invitation has been to go down. So last year I was seeing a healer and remember what she said to me. She was like, so you're kind of stuck energetically from like right below your throat down. Like you can't even feel like what's happening below your, your throat. And I was like, she's like, cause you have so much grief. And she was like, as you continue to go deeper into your body and take that descent and grieve, the more you'll have access to sensation, safety, all of these things that had to be covered up with armor and compensatory strategies and coping mechanisms that continued to, I guess, well, manage the discomfort I was feeling internally, but as ways to kind of regulate my nervous system, you know? So I think you're, you're spot on with that of like, there's so much grief here. And if we have the capacity and the timing, I guess, if you will, to to move towards the grief and allow it to break us open, then what's underneath that is actually so much liberation. Oh my gosh, 100%. Everything that you just said has been something that I'm really facing head on in the last few months. I actually got on a phone. Um, I got on the phone and had a, had a call with one of my very good friends and um, you know, we, it's like, she's like, we have the type of friendship where we don't have to talk for a few months. And then when we just, you just join right back up where you left off. So I had a phone call with her and she said like, how are you? Give it to me straight. How are you doing? And I'm like, I'm really good. I'm like really fragile, but I'm really, really, really good. And I said, how are you? And she said, I'm actually really good as well. Very fragile, but very good. And then we both agreed that this is the first time we've lived in our bodies like this. Mm-hmm. And since going through the breakup back in September and being so fractured from it, like truly feeling like uh, like a different person, like there's like a before Kenzie and an after Kenzie. There was like, mm-hmm. there's there's no, the old me is like, like Taylor Swift is like, she's not coming to the phone right now. Like she's, you know, um, and it's interesting. And I've talked about it a little bit before on a few episodes, um, but I've struggled with binge eating and like most of my life. And Mm -hmm. there was a promise that I made to myself on day two of the breakup. And I was like, if you're going to do this, you have to do it completely. Like you cannot, you cannot go through this and remain the same. And so mm-hmm. I knew 
that I had to be with my sadness because the sadness was so overwhelming that I couldn't push it down with food and I couldn't like buy it away with like Amazon purchases and I couldn't escape it by traveling and I couldn't I couldn't I didn't have the same coping mechanisms and so for the first time I like lived with my sadness in my body and for the first time I practiced fullness in that way mm-hmm. And I couldn't eat, I can't eat the same way. I can't have a binge session or I can't order pizza in the same way. And I, and it sounds so silly, but it's not, it's, it's, I don't have the same coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. when I started to really like embody my feelings and started living below the neck down, like living in my heart and living in my gut. It completely changed my feeling of fullness and then doing a lot of, you know, uh, some of the work around being myself in different relationships and honoring like who I am when I'm having difficult conversations or when I'm in moments of uncertainty, I'm so alive in my body and it's, that's, that's never happened before. And it's also scary because of how much I'm feeling. Like I've never felt this much before. And I think that when you live the neck above and when you're just in a very intellectual or contextual place, it's so easy to not feel or like push them down or intellectualize them away. Like, you know, you can just, you can outsmart them. You're like, oh, I'm just going to think about them forever instead of feel them. (laughs) You know, and and you mentioned that too, by being like a straight A student and by people pleasing, like if I get if, if I get curious about this, then I can just I'll just journal it away or I'll yoga it away or I will bake it away or I'll just do something to make it go away instead of just sitting in it. Yeah. And oh, I still so acknowledge you for that of committing to yeah. going at it or going through it in a different way. Cause you were like, no, there's something deeper that needs to take place here in this initiation of the rupture, of the fracture. Yeah, absolutely. And it's wild how much like I have changed and how much I haven't changed. Like, you know, on the surface, like I'm still very much me, which is wonderful and awesome. But the way that I have my boundaries set in relationships now is just so different. And the ways that I say yes or no to things are so different. Mm -hmm. And that's a really cool thing too, because I'm a lot, it's scary, but I'm a lot happier, you know? Um, And I'm curious if that was a feeling that you had as well of where you're both like, this is amazing. And also this is such new territory. This is so scary. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's just described up my whole last 12 months or 18 months of my life is (laughs) I remember specifically right after my rupture of saying something very similar of like, we cannot repeat this. Like this is like, you're going all in because we're going to face whatever wants to come up here Mm -hmm. because we really do need to complete some of these patterns and cycles. And I remember setting boundaries with my family for the first time a week after my rupture. And I was terrified because I was, I mean, it was fresh out of relationship, like a week one, but I had so much And I'd be curious to hear your experience, but my access to rage came online like it had never come online before in my life, where I was so angry at just 
all of the ways I was still enmeshed in, in familial roles that were interfering with my capacity to show up as a woman in relationship, like as a mature woman who was sovereign. And instead of directing that anger back at myself, which I had been doing for the previous 30 years of my life on this planet, I started to let that anger move up. And I needed to tap back into that um, fierce rage or clean anger. And I don't, I don't like to use that word anymore. It's just anger. Um, it's what we do with anger that really matters. Um, and utilize it to start setting healthy boundaries. Because as somebody who had lived a majority of their life with forest boundaries of taking on other people's emotions or their well-being or their thoughts or what they thought was best for me, it was like time where I had to kind of swing the pendulum and be like, no, <laughs> like almost a little rigid at first where I was like, absolutely. No one's going to tell me what they think of this, what they think my next step on my path should be, where they think I should live, how they think I should interact. Like it was just like, we are done. Mm -hmm. And so I set that boundary with my family system by sending them all a letter and basically saying, you know, thank you for all of your support. And I did it kind and clear, but at this time I am not looking or unsolicited advice, feedback, direction, or thoughts on my relationship with Mark. Like what I need from you is just your support. And if I ask for it, beautiful. But if you happen to give me advice or tell me your thoughts without my permission, I will remove myself from the conversation until I deem it as safe to do so. And I was, as soon as I set that boundary, my nervous system went into full activation mode. It was like, I'm dying. I'm basically dead. Like my family, I'm exiled, abandoned, like, because it was the role I played in my family system that was dying. Mm. It was the identity that was so hooked in and attached to the way my family system operated that in moving in opposition to that core pattern, it kicked my nervous system and all my deepest fears up. So I do know exactly that that felt sensation of activation of this is terrifying, but this is also liberating because it's opening up blocked energy channels mm. and it's giving me access to more of myself and absolutely and that's more important than at that point in my life was more important than anything i didn't care if i lost anybody i was like cool you don't want to be in my life anywhere because i set boundaries great don't care because <laughs> this is like life or death for me right now mm. like that's what it felt like it really did feel that extreme of like oh Oh, this is what I need to do to not repeat the pattern in two years? Great. I'll do it. I'll go all in because I don't want to be in that again. Like yeah. It it's so interesting that you say that um, when you were in that rupture, um, he, this rage came up for you. <sighs> my God, Kylie, because you're like in my head. It was as if like I had gone through the same steps. Like for the first time I was in the vacuum of my own experience. And I had talked about this with my therapist. Um, and I told her, I said, I'm, I'm feeling really angry and I'm not digging it. And, um, you know, we were like naming it and I was feeling it in my body. And I was telling her, I said, I'm like really angry though. Like I'm waking up out of sleep in anger um, because for the first time I was allowed to be angry because I wasn't, I wasn't pushing my anger down to mm -hmm. make sure that everyone else was regulated. Like I was literally for the first time 
being angry in a very long time. And I also just, my friends and the people that in the past that I've chosen to be my partners are really the best humans. Like they're just Mm -hmm. so wonderful. And so it's hard sometimes for me to accept that they are also imperfect and they also fuck up and they can also be hurtful and they can also um, have negative traits just like we all do. And so when they do something wrong um, or when they do something that might be hurtful, I'm very quick to understand it and give it compassion and not be angry and and understand them and all of that stuff and then to dismiss the anger because anger is just so uncomfortable. And so for the first time, I've like been feeling my anger and then not attaching aggression to it. Whole new world. I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. How do I, how do I do it? How do I do this? And every week, you know, uh, having a therapy session, my therapist would say, she'd be like, you are, you're trying to rush it. Like you're trying to like skip the anger phase. And I'm like, well, obviously this anger phase sucks. And she's just like, I need you to stop like journaling and I need you to stop doing gratitude lists because it's just going to be heavy for a while. And I was like, I don't know. I think, I think I can write this out. I think I can do this. Um, and then I hit a block where I was like, mm-hmm. you're doing too much and you're not sitting in it and it's just going to be bad for a while. Like you're just going to have to feel like this. Yeah. And all of these like months and years of not feeling this one emotion, it's just going to come at you. So I'm curious if you could talk briefly about sacred rage. Um, I love the term clean anger, but I know that there can be stigma with the word clean. So that's okay if you don't want to use it. But I would love it if people heard you talk a little bit about that sacred rage because you you voice it so well. Mm, thank you. And I so acknowledge you for your for your journey. It's so it hard. <laughs> and increasing your capacity to sit with it and allow it to come up and out. It's really beautiful to hear. It's deep work. Steep work. So for me and how I relate to anger, very similar to you, I pressed that as far as I could possibly press it down my whole life. Um, and and now as I reorient to it and create a different relationship to it, I think what was important distinction for me on my path of being able to discern was there is a difference between aggression and shaming, blaming, and bulldozing somebody's personal boundaries. And that can get as extreme as actually physical abuse or abuse mm-hmm. in general um, versus clean anger or sacred rage, if you will. And the difference here for me is anger that hasn't been distorted into aggression is, is embodied. It's truth-telling. It's anchored. It's clear. It's direct. It's protective. It's saying a no, enough. And it's from that deep knowing, like guttural, like almost like in the pelvic bowl, deep knowing that you're able to stand deeper in deeper integrity with with your truth, with justice, with with life. And when you have access to that and you know how to channel it in the way that you're learning right now and have been learning, you just feel so much more in your body and safe. Because there's a, at least for me in my experience and and working with clients, is there's an inverse relationship between our access to anger and anxiety. The more disconnected we are from anger, the higher or the more anxious we feel. 
because we don't have access to that very protective, innate and adaptive energy, which is anger, which says, hey, a boundary was just violated and you need to protect yourself or you need to have a conversation or you need to put up the boundary. But since we've been violated in many different ways on this planet for thousands of years, truly, um, we've kind of gotten to this place of learned helplessness, especially if you identify as a woman, it's like a lot of like anger isn't allowed. Be the good girl, act like a lady, be silent. Don't be a bitch. Don't be crazy. You know, all of these words that are utilized to keep women silent and to keep them in their little boxes of what patriarchy defines as a good woman, a good mother. Mm -hmm. And because of that, so much of our rage has been pushed into the shadows and then shows up and operates in, in ways that, in ways that are not as direct and clean as just like stating your truth, but in manipulation and passive aggressiveness and coercion. And that's how we've learned how to try to control and manage our environments under colonial mm -hmm. capitalist patriarchy. But there's now an opportunity for us to stand in deeper integrity and stand in our fierce knowing with this connection to anger. And your anger is holy. It is sacred. It is what tells you what's right and what's wrong with this world. And we need more people connected to their anger and standing for truth and justice in this world at this time for soul, for sacred, for mother earth, for life, like all of it. So those are my two cents on anger and aggression. But if you have any other clarifying questions that I didn't get to, I'd love to have, love to dance in that space with you. Yeah. I particularly loved, um, I think that it's really clear with anger being this exploratory tool to show you that a boundary has been violated. And violation in the way that I'm looking at it can be a gradient scale. It can be violation of the most like unholy, um, terrible, violent acts. And then it can be violation like working too much, you know, it, like exceeding your own personal boundaries, taking too much on, like that, those, like there is a gradient there. And I loved how you framed it in that way. Like there's something here that has violated a boundary and anger like is, is the emotion that's like letting you know, like, Hey, there's a little bit of a fire here because, um, it's, it's not in your truth. Something has violated a truth of yours or, or a boundary and something that you said that, you know, anger can come out in manipulation or passive aggressiveness. I think when I was trying to not be angry in the past or when I was trying so hard to be compassionate and understanding and to be, uh, you mentioned it in one of your series, um, the calm, cool, confident woman. Very cool girl. Yeah, gotta be. <laughs> totally. Nothing's wrong here. When I was trying to do that, it would still come out of my body in some ways. Mm -hmm. And that might be... Um, not wanting to have sex, um, not be like being very quiet, maybe, um, like it would still seep out of my body in some way. And it's interesting because I learned that in a, in an acting class a few years ago that, um, very similar to Bessel van der Kolk's book, like your body keeps the score in acting class. They always said like your body can't lie, like your mind can lie, but your body 
cannot. It will just carry the truth and it will always give you away. Like there will always be signs that it is giving you away. And that was kind of what was like coming up for me as you were talking is that um, almost like your truth will bleed out of you and be trying to get out. And when you are connecting, you know, your mind to your heart and to your gut, you are able to then you know, align all of those things together and speak your truth and honor your boundaries and claim your space and and own your rage. And I think that you're 100% right that anger has been so stigmatized in women and femme spaces for so long that it doesn't, it feels like a very, it can feel like a very unnatural emotion to take on, or it can feel like more of a masculine emotion or, or whatnot, or just unfamiliar and like, you shouldn't have it or you should be better than being angry or, um, you know, my mom is like dismisses it all the time. She was like, I don't, I'm not going to be angry because that's my, that's my past talking and I'm only present and almost like using spirituality as a way to dismiss. (laughs) And, um, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I love that. In this, uh, in your teachings and in and um, in your education, that you talk about, no, we're gonna come. That's part of coming home to yourself, is is coming back to that emotion and reframing it and all of that. Anyways, I'm just obviously I'm obsessed with you and I'm obsessed with like what you say <laughs> <laughs> and everything is just re- everything's just resonating. Um, and it's so great. And we're we're I don't we're almost out of time, but I honestly have like a hundred questions that I never asked during this entire (laughs) interview. So I actually just wanted to end off with, let's say some listeners are listening to this and they're realizing, wow, maybe I am having some codependency, some um, codependent traits that that have come up for quite a while. What are some gentle few steps that they could take in the next little while um, to start addressing those things or to leave here with some tools? Yeah. Hmm. So one of the first ways that I started to, to really examine this pattern is kind of living by the mantra of stay in my own lane, come back to my own container, like the container of self, because if we can have the awareness that we're not actually in our bodies, we're not actually in our present felt emotional experience and we're trying to manage something outside of ourselves, then we can kind of, okay, I need to come back into my body, into my center, into what it is that I'm experiencing instead of focusing on what everybody else is experiencing or what they might think or what they don't think or their next step. It's like when I find myself when I find myself falling into that, can I hit the pause button? And can I say to myself, like, come home, come back to me, come back to self. So I recommend doing that whenever you start to notice yourself jumping into other people's realities or trying to figure out what's going to happen in the external world, like come back to the parts of you that are, feel uncomfortable with what's happening. And then I always like to recommend like putting a hand on your heart and hand on your stomach, pelvic bowl, 
and just like breathing with this part of like, I'm here, I've got you and I'll breathe with you until we're one because it's these little parts, the younger parts and there's, they're beautiful parts that don't yet trust that we're okay and that we're safe and that we're held and that we're worthy. And as somebody who likes the, the idea of the inner mother or inner protective parent, it's like, how do we become the one who can hold and be with all of these parts of ourselves that are uncomfortable in that space? So those are my little tidbits. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing space with us today. I'm going to also recommend that people download, is it called, is it the app called Do You Mind or is it just called Mind? Yeah, the app is called Mind, M-I-N-E apostrophe D. I'll link it in the show notes and you have a wonderful series on there, How to Stop People Pleasing. And it has given me 10,000 journal prompts. I'm good for the next year. Um, It's a really beautiful series all about what we're talking um, about today. And is there anything else that's going on right now that you'd like to plug in here? Nothing else is happening right now. Yeah. Where can everyone find you online? Yeah. So the best place to find me is on Instagram at being is beautiful or my website, kyliemcbeth.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kylie. Thank you, Kenzie. All right, friends, you made it to the end of the episode. You know what to do now. Head over to our Instagram account, Conversations with Kenzie, and let us know what you loved about the episode. Or let us know what you didn't love. What questions did we miss? What questions could we have asked differently? Let us know there. As always, stay curious, keep asking questions, and keep making conversations in your everyday life. Until next time.